This is the Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Today on this episode of the podcast, I have Terry Linhart to discuss his book, The Self-Aware Leader. Um, The subtitle on that book is Discovering Your Blind Spots to Reach Your Ministry Potential. But our conversation today is not just for those of you who are involved in vocational ministry. Uh, We're going to talk about how it is that blind spots in our lives can rob us of our potential in lots of aspects of our life. So Terry Linhart is um, a speaker, an educator, a writer, a ministry leader, and uh, he is with me today on the podcast. Terry, thank you so much for being with me on the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Craig, what a treat. Thank you for asking me. And uh I know it's going to be good because we just spent 20 minutes talking before you even hit record. I know. I mean, we I feel like we recorded the first podcast without recording. <laughs> well, Terry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what do you do and uh, where do you live? Tell us about your family. Yeah. You know, you tell God you'll go wherever he wants you to go. And sometimes he says, okay, well, you stay wherever I want you to stay. And that's been the wrestling point for this guy that loves travel and, and being all over and I've been in Indiana my whole life and connected with different ministries here, came out of school as a music major and got involved in Youth for Christ. So evangelism, frontline evangelism is my heartbeat and youth ministry. And it was there that my teaching gifts kind of got identified by a pastor from Iowa. And and, uh, when some transitions happened, I, I began that journey. And we've been at Bethel University now here in South Bend, Indiana for 22 years. Uh, leading the youth ministry, the worship arts ministry, and now an extension studies program. And uh, so we're we're thrilled uh, making a difference. It's a fruitful ministry. And uh, this extension studies program is some of the most fruitful ministry I've ever been a part of in my life. Explain the extension ministry for us just for a minute. Yeah, it's a model that kind of grew out of the old master's commission and the assemblies denomination. It's a way of embedding uh, credit-bearing programs within local churches, a discounted price, and it's uh, got ministry basis to it. And we're connecting with uh, different churches uh, across the country that want to do an uh, evangelical Christian four-year degree, fully accredited, but with uh, every semester practical skills. And so uh, it's a a new model and it's growing. A number of colleges are starting to do it, and I think we're going to see it more and more. Yeah, it's a crazy idea that we should connect theological (laughs) education closely with our local churches, isn't it? I know part of our presentation is, listen, this isn't like the first time this has happened in the history of uh, of the church all the way through the New Testament and Acts. So. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you're part of Malvern Hill, we're going to be offering you some unique opportunities to do something similar to that, not through Bethel, but uh, uh, through somewhere else in coming yeah. uh, months, yeah, absolutely. actually. So a, please be looking for that. A, it meets a need for some, not all, and right. uh, it's important. Hey, I, I did uh, I did my, um, my master's program through what was was an old extension center, the Southern Seminary that had an extension center in Greenville. And then I I did my entire PhD uh, through a, a program at Southern that allowed me to work here and uh, and be on campus four weeks out of the year and, and yeah. really do the intensive work. It was it was excellent for me. I got the academics, I got the academy, I got the experience, the scholarship, but I was able to be working in the lab all the time, putting those uh, those gifts that God had, had equipped me with through my education to work. Yeah, I've had a number of friends do that Southern program. It's rigorous. It's uh, 
the I'm really impressed with the dissertations that come out at the end of that too. I've read a few well, of those. So. If you really want to be impressed, read mine. Okay, I will. Thanks. You Send and the other me. person who have read it, you know, can let me know how it was. <laughs> well, uh, Terry, you've got uh, you got some family. I do. We have three adult children and three grandchildren, and they uh, again live within a half hour of my house. So we're oh wow, you're uh, we're winning taking these days and and not apologizing, Craig. It's a delightful time. Great news. Well, Terry, I've asked you to be here today to discuss uh, a book that you wrote. I had to go back and look. You wrote this all the way back in 2017, I believe, or it was published yeah, in 2017. Yeah, you probably wrote well, it in like a larger story of that. I wrote it before that. It just took that long to get it published. Yeah, really. Yeah. So uh, I, I do a whole series of how to get published, and uh, uh, I've written a few books, and uh, this one just took a while to get out the door. But you know, the thing is. Uh, when you follow God, he has his fingerprints. He tends to be uh, providential in life sometimes. And I don't know if that's uh, uh, something you preach occasionally. It probably is. And so, you know, it's just it, it, now you look back and you think it was it was well done because Helen Lee came in and helped me edit it. And Jason Jensen with InterVarsity. And when InterVarsity picked it up, it just became a, a useful tool. And exactly. I think what I envisioned uh, originally when I felt like God was prompting me to, to write the book. Awesome. Well, the book is called The Self-Aware Leader. And to get our conversation started about the book, tell me why we need this book. Is Why is self-awareness an issue? Right. Well, thank you. Yeah. So the book came out of my own story that I was about uh, seven or eight years out of college and just was not aware that I was difficult to work with and had some issues I was carrying uh, out with me from adolescence and childhood. And um, when we had a, uh, revision in the ministry I was in, I was one of the 10 that, that left that year. And it began a year and a half, kind of a crucible where God kind of started to show me some things related. That was, uh, had some anger that, you know, I grew up in a family where nobody was angry ever, you know, even though we were, we just kind of denied it. And so suddenly I was angry and I had to think about, well, what is that coming from? And, and where does that, and I had some great counselors walk with me. And then I got into a situation where, uh, here at Bethel, I was graduating some people and they were running in the churches where they were taking personal issues with them and nobody knew how to help them. It was easier to let them go and start over with the next person two years later. And I just thought we are still uh, tripping over the same obstacles in this um, ministerial preparation that we've always done and no one's really helping them. And I picked up the books that were out there and they're usually, uh, you know, 10 mistakes pastors make and it's very depressing it's not very positive it's a heavy read and when you're done with it you just feel bad about everybody and yourself you know and so i started to create an easily more easily accessible book that was smaller and it was geared towards uh, a supervisory relationship where a, a young pastor was perhaps developing an intern or a person new to ministry and they could work with this book and I would do the heavy lifting on topics that nobody was really talking about, like emotional things and personal things and temptations. And in a way that was then able to infuse that uh, um, supervisory relationship with some tools and, and strategies. At the end of every chapter, we have things you can do and work on. So that's the purpose of the book. It's a tool to be used in an in, and this is where most churches are using it now, in an internship situation where they have residents uh, trying to grow in ministry, young people in ministry, and uh, and the book does the what I call the heavy lifting of, at raising the topics that, uh, and equipping churches to know how to talk about these things. Well, Terry, so you've spent 
I guess most of your adult life in academia, correct? Is that what is my understanding? Uh, about half of it. About half, half in local okay. ministry. I was in a church for eight years and then in youth of Christ for eight years. Okay. All right. So, but, and I'm, 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 I'm grateful for my theological education, right? I've got more education as some, some people reminded me that I'm worth. Um, but uh, after uh, four years of an undergraduate degree in Christian ministry, um, you know, 96 hours of, of an MDiv, and then however long it took me to complete my PhD with all the required classwork with a dissertation with some published works and other things under my belt. Um, I, I can say, and then having spent time in ministry with all these other pastors, I rarely see men fail in ministry because they failed theologically. Hmm. Um, now that's where all of our training is, but I often see people fail in ministry because they failed in soft skills, right? Do you think any of this has to do with some holes in our theological preparation for people as we send them into ministry that we're giving them all this robust theological training that they desperately need, but we're sort of neglecting the fact that unless they have the soft skills to go along with it, they're not going to actually be able to do the ministry. Right. Yeah, it's a, it is a gap, and and um, unfortunately, it takes a couple of decades, I think, for um, people to recognize, looking backwards, that it's an issue. There's a lot of self confidence in our twenties that maybe is a, a bit, uh, you know, a, a bit premature, a little bit. And one of the best things is, you know, the people pick up the book and they go, "Oh, this is for people in their twenties," and then they read it, and then I get these looks from veteran pastors who read through maybe the the chapter on emotions, which I think is our best uh, work in the book. And they just give me this nodded, you know, this nod of understanding of going, yeah, you captured some things there. I've been through, you know, the ups and downs of emotions and other ways they communicate with me on on this. And, and I've tried to make the case that this book isn't, uh, you know, I, I want to be very careful. This isn't about self-improvement. This is about becoming more faithful to how God's wired you and learning about that in the same way that Paul was always saying, Hey, keep a close watch on yourself to Timothy or be, you know, to the Corinthians, he said, examine yourselves. This, this self-awareness that Paul exhibited is what I wanted to capture a little bit and to say, Hey, we want to be faithful. And at the end, we want to stay in ministry. We don't want to lose our role because of soft skills. And, and that's what I had done a little bit, uh, played a role in that for sure. Yeah. You point out in the book, you said the foundational reason for examining our lives and blind spots is so that we can be more like Christ in our work. And so in that effort of self-examination, I think you do an excellent job of just just pointing out that part of the reason we're missing some of these things is because they're actually blind to us. You, right. I'm going to you're going to forgive me. I'm going to probably mispronounce this word, but we have is it the Yohari window? Yeah, it's good. Or Johari, depending on which way you want to say it. Yeah, it's OK. okay. You just, it's like some of the words in uh, a young pastor. You tell them to uh, just say it with confidence. And you is know, that right? OK. Yeah. Sin boldly here. Yeah. What? Yeah. No, I think Jahari is the right way that I've heard it said. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the, where the word blind spots comes from that grid. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So um, there's a a grid, the Jahari box talks about what's known to you and what's unknown to you. And then what's known to others and unknown to others. And so the uh, open self is things that everybody knows about you and you know about yourself. Like, uh, if a person's fast in a race, you know that because he or she wins the race. It's pretty obvious that they're the winner. But when you get to a blind spot, that's where others see it, but you don't see it. And then even there's an unknown self where nobody sees something and you don't see it as well. So this is that moment where 
you know, someone, uh, well, this would probably be my case, you know, someone reacts strongly in every situation. They have a strong opinion all the time and people aren't, they're just tired of bringing it up to you. And so this person is always saying whatever comes to their mind right away and nobody's saying anything. It's a blind spot to that person that they're reacting strongly in the moment, but then they wonder why nobody's hanging out with them and is their friend, you know? And so that would be an example of a blind spot. All right. So I want to get to um, the things that you said you thought were the best, which was the emotional part. And I also want to talk about margins. But before we get there, um, how important is or, or should I say how important are relationships and accountability for helping us to identify our blind spots? Well, this is the tricky part because I think, um, and I do a whole seminar uh, now with ministries and, and try to write on the area of supervision because I think that is uh, one of the areas a ministry can help correct and fix some of the issues where the soft skills are lacking. And so we see this, uh, you know, we were talking about denominations before the, the podcast started, you know, some of the issues with some of our structures in ministry is that there are no checks and balances for some of the people at the top. And I think everybody, every organization needs to have some sort of checks and balances where, you know, the, the, the wetting of the thumb, the shorthand is, can you make someone go away or not? Is there that kind of accountability present? And so when there is that kind of checks and balances, then you have some checks on behavior, but a community is, yeah. And, you know, we read scripture with such a Western view and individualized view and, and, you know, the word disciples in the New Testament is often regularly plural. We're together a lot. The community, you were talking about your church there at, at Malvern Baptist. And what you were bragging about, you may not have heard this, was how you were a community and the, the lay people and the role they're playing. That's you couldn't stop. And I think that is the sign of a healthy church where it's not coming in and watching Pastor Craig teach up front and and only it's part of it. Right. And people wouldn't come if you weren't a good pastor good preacher, but it's also that I'm a part of this community. And when I'm stuck, I can name the names of other people in my community that are going to, are walking with me through life. And that is that uh, collectivism that I think some cultures get better than we do in the States. And, and it's what churches need to, I think if we learn something from the pandemic, when we were apart, it's now we ask ourselves, what does it mean to be back together again? And it's not just watching what we could watch on YouTube. It means something different. Yeah, we um, I I did a uh, podcast uh, maybe maybe a month ago with David Sachs, who wrote a book, a couple of books on analog. One of them called uh, "The Revenge of Analog," which is fantastic. There was another <laughs> one called "The Future is Analog." But we we talked about how the pandemic gave us an idea for and, and a realization of the fact that man, we we don't really like to be alone all that much. Might like it a little bit, but we were able to finally have a Christmas that wasn't busy. You know, there were no gatherings. And my wife and I looked at one another in the middle of that and said, man, this is terrible. Every year we go, is it really worth all of this? And in 2020, we looked at one another and said, it's absolutely worth everything that we go through to get mm. to that place mm. because community's costly, right? Community's not easy, but I, I appreciate that you made reference to community there because even though there are a lot of pastors who listen to this, I should have told you this early on, uh, the, the listening audience of this podcast is primarily people from age 16 to 45, mm -hmm. and most of them are not ministry leaders. Most of the people that are going to listen to this are followers of Jesus, uh, but are just part of a local church. And so the idea of accountability uh, and self-awareness requires there to be real community so that we can actually engage in the real lives of people and have those hard conversations, right? Right. 
Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, I mentioned in there too, then part of the problem with it is that to get to community, you reach some points where you have to work through some issues. You know, there's some conflict. We're in a family group, a, a small group that started out of a church in 1999. We're still meeting every other Friday night and it's over 20 years now uh, together. And we're a family of families and we love it. Uh, it is an amazing community. And those people are walking with me through life through those deaths. But we had these moments where we had to work through the relationship. You know, we got to know each other like brothers and sisters. And, you know, brothers and sisters don't always get along. And when you're used to church hopping or only going to groups for your own needs, then suddenly you're going to leave and go to another group. That's not really an organic community, a small group. So when you're in community, you have to work through chaos and conflict. There are steps uh, on the road towards true community. There's also a degree of vulnerability that, that 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 requires, at least in my experience, has required me to actually invite people into those 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 relationships. Yeah, yeah, and some of us with certain personalities, that's harder to do. If and this is where I think, uh, again, it's not just about self awareness, but understanding how you're wired. Where do you refuel that introversion extroversion? Do you need time away? If you're a hard driving person, especially if you're a CEO, where you're the the king or queen of your world and business, it's hard for you to enter into it and be vulnerable because you don't, you're at work, you're not, you are, you're driving. And so uh, this is where I think the, the small groups, the life groups are so important. And I, I'm hopeful that small group ministry grows here in these coming years in churches and that people do it. And, you know, we talk about the 18 to 45 year old age range. I think they're really open to small groups. I see them really um, craving those kind of communities because you know, programs are a dime a dozen. You and I were talking offline about, about my church. You asked some questions about Malvern Hill. And um, I mean, I'm excited about our church. We're super healthy. It's fun. But one of the reasons for that is um, our worship attendance, we're consistent around 80% of our worship attendance in life groups. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 80% of our folks are plugged into a small group. Um, and that's, that's in a rapidly growing church. So we're, we're, you know, we're consistently having multiple visitors on a Sunday. So as far as those people who are attending every Sunday, weekend and week out, we're probably approaching 85% or more who are plugged into a small group and it creates real sense of community where there is that kind of accountability that you're talking about. Yeah. I love that. And that's something, if you wanted to write about something new there, Pastor Craig, that'd be a good thing to write about. Cause I think more churches would love to implement that and know what you're doing there. I mean, you and I can talk about it offline, but I'll be honest with you. The biggest thing, so I, I do some writing for a lot of people. I write some curriculum for Lifeway and some other places. But uh, the biggest thing that we've done is we've made our life groups, first of all, focus. We've said it matters more than anything else. Um, uh, I mean, the preaching of the word and, and, and our life groups. So we've made it the focus. Um, we've infused them with the preaching. So the preaching on Sunday morning drives our life groups. Um, we have made them intentionally applicational because we recognized years ago that I was flooding people with all sorts of new things they were learning and they weren't applying anything. We made them intentionally applicational. Uh, and then we've made it easy. Uh, we've made it easy for people to be plugged into life groups, to lead a life group. You don't need a, you don't need six hours worth of study and preparation to plan to lead your life group. If you attend church, you attend worship on Sunday morning, maybe you listen to it again on a podcast or in the week, you take a handful of notes. Um, you're prepared to lead the discussion. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing seven questions in life groups and uh, 45 minutes to deal with those. And then we're encouraging our life groups at least four times a year to fellowship outside mm. uh, off church campus or outside regular church times. And, uh, man, we're growing disciples. It's super simple. Most people won't take the leap because it's too easy. 
And I mean, just to be totally honest, it's it's not complicated enough for 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 some folks right now, and that's the reason we're having a hard time getting anybody to buy in. Well, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's going well, and and I hope it continues to grow because I think it's it's been for me. My my son, who's now 28, once said to me probably eight or nine years ago, he said, "Dad, who are your friends?" You know, I've been pretty hard driving and invested a lot in in writing and doing other things, and you know the research we do with Arbor Research Group and 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 I couldn't have a ready answer for him. And so the life group's given me a new uh I reinvested in those friendships wow. in the group because I realized I was kind of pulling away time wise. You know, it was wow. a simple thing. Huh. So be more intentional there. Well I mean and that's hey brother if you're gonna write a book about being self aware it's pretty important that you you rec- wrestle with that your own self. It's, <laughs> I mean I'm say I'm serious. Like that's I know it's good that you're not just writing the book. You're actually applying what you're what you're talking about. I've got a good friend, John Swanson, who writes a lot on uh, pastoral care and grief and and how to handle hard conversations. And sometimes we'll have a conversation and he'll just text me a page number from that book you got in your hand there. And just... <laughs> <laughs> he knows it better than I do. So that's that's good stuff. Well, um, as as we can kind of continue the conversation, um, you uh, you talked about emotions. You said you thought the best thing that you did in the book maybe was to deal with some some of the yeah. emotional aspects. What what about that in particular? As far as our, our efforts to be more self aware. Well, yeah, and I think that you know, this is I'm just going to pass along some tips that have helped me because I think um, you know, especially men who grow up, you know, we don't know what to do with emotions and some churches don't know what to do with emotions and yet emotions are telling and and um, some of the people when we're alone and really journaling or in prayer and we think about things, we, we have these feelings and just how to handle them. And so uh, it's important to know what to do with them. And one of the things I talked about was whenever you have an emotional reaction, imagine that you take a, a selfie. So it's like an emotional selfie and you, you're just taking, you're not really lifting your, your phone up or if you're analog, you have a flip phone still, you know, talking about analog. Uh, I ran across a couple of flip phone people yesterday, so it's fresh on my mind. And you just imagine you take a selfie and then later on you reflect on uh, some questions you ask of yourself, like, why did I react that way? Because I think emotions are canaries in the cave. You know, the old coal miners would take a canary in the cave. And if the canary would, uh, would pass out or die, they would know that the oxygen was low. And I think sometimes emotions are starting to tell us things. And what I didn't recognize in me was that my my frustrations were starting to tell me it was time to maybe transition or move. And, and I wasn't paying attention to those with the situation I was in early. But why did I react that way? What desires does that reveal? You know, and so the one of the reasons that the Enneagram has been popular in certain circles with people is that it's reveal. Unlike some of the other profiles, it really has gotten to the the where we're dealing with some of the sin nature in our lives. You know, where we have these desires for more or control or uh, harmony. You know, whatever it is, uh, and or more knowledge. Those things, these thirsts that we have which then can result into temptations. I think the emotions are early indicators for those uh, when we reflect on them. And so that's helpful. And so one of the things that we can do is start to be able to, uh, first of all, take responsibilities for emotions that we have. And then secondly, start to label what we feel. One of the things that's, you know, I think being able to name your desires and feelings in front of Jesus is a really powerful thing. I think Ruth Haley Barton wrote that so I need to give her credit here on that. But being able to label what you feel, when people go to counseling, that's often what a counselor just helps someone do. You know, it's why the 
the joke is, you know, when you go and talk to a counselor, the counselor might say back to you, so you're feeling, and then they pause. That's really that reflective type of counseling is actually really helpful in pastoral counseling because you just help people name what they feel. If you if you think of parenting, you know, a kid just says I'm mad or I'm frustrated. Well, they're probably more than that. And so helping them put other words to that is really helpful for them to be able to fix it. And so I think that's helpful. And then you then you how emotionally intense, you know, so I have a ro- torn rotator cuff right now and I go, you know, we're still figuring out what to do. And the doctor might say, oh no, scale of one to 10, how painful it is right now. It's a, a zero, but yesterday it was a seven. So when you feel an emotion, you know, how intense is it? And that's just really basic stuff, but it helps us rein in some of these things where we say I'm angry instead of frustrated, or I'm depressed instead of just sad or tired. Sometimes we're just physiologically off and we need to go out and ride our bike for five miles and drink a lot of water and we'll be better, you know? Hey, I, I told you, we, we deal with a lot of young people and we're, we're the, they, they get six questions. Uh, um, and anybody that's listening to this podcast already heard it. It's not just young people anymore. You come into my office, you're depressed. All right. So are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? How much are you sleeping? When's the last time you went outside for exercise? What are you eating? And are you spending time around God's people? Right. Generally, we talk about read your Bible, pray, go to church. But man, we're just recognizing unless we deal with those three other three physiological things that have to do with that. You know, if we're not getting outside and get some exercise, (laughs) um, doing eating the right things um, or at least something close to the right things. And, and sleeping, well, then you're going to be depressed. You're going to feel bad. You know, it's just, it's just life. Yeah. You go eat a lot of sugar and you, you don't like yourself a half hour later, you know, it's just, and, hey, and you know, this is a real thing. Don't Any talk Christian to me that way, brother. Would... You don't know me. You don't know me. Maybe I can eat all the donuts. I might be okay. Donut? Yeah. Were you eating donuts earlier? No, I wasn't. I wanted to, but I didn't. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. I mean, our, uh, in our area where we have a lot of gray, uh, over a long period of time, you know, yeah. most of the Christian counselors I know around here start there with those those things. You know, how's your spiritual life? Those practices, mm-hmm. and then are you, you know, sleeping, eating correctly, and exercising? And, and 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 so this is really these are really good conversations to have uh, with people. You know, to be able to say, um, let's let's get the house, the temple of God, how God's created you in order, so that uh, Holy Spirit can do some work. You know. You're talking about that self-awareness with your emotions. And I mean, I, I know personally, so I I have all the, I'm a big emotion, right? Like just one big emotion. I wear them outside. When I'm happy, I'm the happiest man on planet earth, which also means that when I'm angry, I got to be really careful, you know? Yeah. Um, but when I begin to own my emotions and I begin to verbalize my emotions, I'll also recognize that I'm making myself super vulnerable and I'm giving away power to some degree, you know, like, like just personal example from me um, last night with one of my kids were engaging in a conversation. I finally just had to look at him and, I, and, and it was hard for me to do this, but to look at him and he's young and just to say, you're making me angry. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm stepping away from hiding everything about being frustrated or you know, you're making me angry, but this is why I'm angry. And this is, was, this was the part that was giving away the power, you know, and, 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 and opening myself to vulnerability. It's like, I, I know that you're hurting. I know that something's bothering you. You're not allowing me to help you. And when you don't allow me to help you, I feel helpless. Mm-hmm. And when I feel helpless, it makes me angry. Well, when I did that, I had to acknowledge 
it's inappropriate for me to be angry at you. <laughs> yes, I am angry, but but it's probably not right for me to have those emotions. But to, to put those things out there, what it did, though, hey, good news is it broke down a wall and opened the door. Turns out when I would be honest and open, not only did it better for me, it was 100% better for him because instead of just seeing like big angry dad coming at him, he sees dad that really just wants to help and has really put his emotions in the wrong place. And now that he got a, a greater picture of what was going on, then he was able to verbalize what was going on in his life. Mm. But mm. hey, you know, but the reality is like, I'm I'm the authority figure. I didn't want to do all that. Just do what I say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Thank you for this counseling th- session. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I don't, it's probably a two way uh, counseling. <laughs> you know, it brought up an idea that I think is helpful for all your listeners. And, and this could be the, the key takeaway for today is to listen to other people's hearts. You know, the, the emotional element, especially in a world saturated with visuals and media and movies now, think of how often we speak to each other with quotes from movies or pictures or we're showing people things. The emotive artist, artistic side of life is more prominent now. And people will give us little bids, you know, in marital counseling, talk about bids, you know, there's a little bid that, um, that they'll indicate something about how they feel. And then they're going to wait for you to see if you listened or not, you know, or not. And so if we just poke on that, pull on that little thread, you may unwind a whole thing where they want to disclose more about how they're feeling or who they are. They don't know if it's safe. They don't know if we're paying attention you know, and so being able to say things like, oh, and now I come back and I say, so you're feeling, you know, frustrated or angry or you're feeling, uh, you know, you seem like you're happy today, that kind of thing. And letting people expound on that. Or I've learned this phrase. And what about you in conversation to make sure it's not always about me? I have to stop and say, and what about you? Because conversation is like a ping pong match, right? We're playing ping pong and I don't hit both sides of the table. You and I, Craig, are hitting this back and forth, even in this podcast. So uh, just learning how to be others focused and uh, listening for emotions is a helpful thing. And that, and that's just to kind of tie it back to the book. The self-awareness aspect is just to acknowledge that hey, I have emotions, right? If you're listening to this, right. to acknowledge that you, you're not always... We all have to acknowledge that we're not always the master of our emotions. Sometimes our emotions master us. And and the self-awareness aspect comes back to us being willing to acknowledge that and to wrestle through that to make us more effective leaders, more effective parents, more effective students, more effective athletes, whatever the case may be, all because we're willing to acknowledge these these um, these struggles in our own life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, we're, and we're human. And I think, you know, I grew up in a cultural family where half the family was German and Germans, you know, if you ever see the pictures, you know, if you ever watch the old Hogan's heroes uh, TV show and reruns, you know, sometimes all the Germans are Dow, you know, and they're down and depressed. And I think, you know, you look at my historical family photos and the, the never smile. And so you never acknowledge you feel something, you know, and some of our cultures uh, do that and other cultures, they feel everything all the time. And so either extreme probably is, is not helpful. Okay. (laughs) Well, so emotions, and I would imagine some bleed over. I I think one of my favorite parts of your book, and as a matter of fact, it it's it 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 impacted my life long term, was your conversation about margins. Mm-hmm. How important is it for us to build in margin in our life, and how does that increase our self awareness? How does it make us better leaders? Yeah, margins are are very important. You know, a mar- a one inch margin on the page actually takes up about a third of the page, and we don't think about it. We think of it being like ten percent, and 
I think we, you know, our conversation earlier about taking care of ourselves, uh, well, two parts of it. We talked about taking care of ourselves physically, you know, what we do, how we sleep, what we eat, our exercise. But I also think that there are opportunities to take care of ourselves, you know, in community as well. And that community provides a margin, but a margin is full of margin. So tomorrow, Craig, I'm taking a day off, an extra day. And one of the tricks for me will be to actually take a day off and do things that provide margin or a pillow to the rest of the week. And I'm pushing pretty hard today. I can feel it. I can feel I'm using adrenaline. So tomorrow I need to do the things, an extended time of devotions and prayer in the morning, uh, some exercise outside, all the things we talked about. But I think those type of boundaries give us room to fail, room to experiment, room to be creative. And some of the audience is are very creative people. And I can tell now that I'm in a more administrative role, more less so than when I was writing more of the, the books and the articles and things that uh, I have less margin. And so mm-hmm. for me to start to say, all right, I would now want to write an article. Uh, I need this huge open space to be able to do that. And creative people, whether in marketing or arts of any form, if you work with them, they aren't fast. They have large open areas to work within and they're they're slower than some of the type a you know executives want them to be when they're creating a, a marketing campaign but it's because that margin is where that creativity uh percolates develops the experimentation happens yeah and you um you have a quote and i'll just read it back to you in the you sent me a a presentation and in the quote in the presentation said we don't drift toward better behaviors and when we think about building margin, you don't accidentally build margin into your life. It, it, let me put, let me back up. You, you, if you're doing the things you're supposed to do work-wise, you don't accidentally build margin into your life. Uh, and and I, I, increasingly, it doesn't matter what you're doing because of the ubiquity of screens and everything else in our life. We don't accidentally build in margin. Like it doesn't accidentally happen. You have to be intentional to create that space, right? Yeah. Well, and you just hit it, right? Um, part of why research is continually showing us that we're in more anxious world. And now, you know, they're looking at how young social media is creating anxiety in younger people and not helping with mental health mm-hmm. is that we just don't, the moment we pick up our phone and I'm holding my iPhone up to the camera, you know, it invades our total life from morning to night. That phone is with us invading our time and it's not margin. It's not creative. It's something that's actually creating anxiety. It's creating uh, a want for more or to be better or, you know, this it's feeding our consumeristic world that we're swimming in, you know, and, 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 and that and just creates this anxiety that, that we have to, we have to be able to put the phone down, I think, for periods of time. I do. Uh, yeah. And I mean, we're seeing that, um, we're seeing that move, not only in Christian circles, uh, I've got. I don't know how many how many books that I've looked through in the past few years that have really advocated for Sabbath, especially digital Sabbath. But we're not just seeing that in Christian circles. Like I mentioned, uh, David Sachs, the guy that I had on just a few weeks ago, is a pretty secular Jew, and yet, you know, he's recognizing how desperately he needs to disconnect from the world because we're just so busy and we desperately need it. Um, h- how does that margin make us just better humans? How does it make us better leaders, better students, parents, children, adults, whatever phrase you want to use there? 
Well, it's like when the Wi-Fi goes bad in your house and it, you have to reset it and unplug it so it can work better. It's a, it's that reset and that um, um, the ability to renew and refresh in ways so that all of your supplies are full. And, um, and boredom uh, is a helpful thing sometimes. And we're afraid to be bored anymore. And yet it's the moment where you start doodling and looking out, you start reflecting and God gets our attention in fresh ways through things we haven't noticed before. And the Holy Spirit being active in the world is able to speak into our lives and point out some things and, and, and whisper. And when you think of the still small voice of Elijah, you know, which is mm. probably the character of the mm. Bible I connect with the most personality wise, um, just because of the ups and downs he experienced, you know, he's feeling Mount Carmel one minute, top of the world, one of the greatest ministerial moments in history right and then just a few days later he's in the cave going i'm the only one and you know the lord comes and it's not through the wind and the earthquake yeah. it's the still small voice and he's right. undone you know and if we want to be undone if we want to be close then that abiding relationship with jesus that we're all supposed to have he needs to have our attention and he needs to have our presence and it's not just going to be like checking in and out for a point so i think that is some of the best thing you can do in your margin mm -hmm. is to make sure am I abiding with Jesus and my prayer leaving the garage this morning, knowing what was ahead is how can I be about the mission of Jesus today through all that I'm doing through this conversation, through the uh, different meetings I have today and all that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I again, uh, your book has been really helpful for me um, when I read it the first time as I've revisited it. And it is 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 urged me towards considering the margin in my life, really mm -hmm. focusing on rest more than I have in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I was just telling uh, my sister here just a little while ago that you know this past weekend, I, I we just crazy busy week last week, and then crazy busy month, and I kind of been living for last weekend, right? And then it rained Saturday. It was nasty. Oh. It was like an Indian. It was like an Indiana day here. It really was. It was, it was, you know, it's supposed to be 78 and instead it was uh, 58 degrees and it rained all day long. The coldest mm -hmm. Memorial Day weekend probably we've ever had here. And uh, it was glorious for me because I had to, I didn't have anything else to do. You know, I, I slept in a little bit, uh, took the kids to a movie, came back, took a nap Saturday afternoon. I can't remember the last time I had a nap, just haven't been able to do that. Wow. Um, it, it was wonderful. I just yeah. so desperately needed that reset. And really and truly, like I said, we've been, I've been looking forward to that just extended weekend and it, it's made me a better person. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I could have easily filled that weekend up with so many other things. And I'm so thankful that I didn't because I was able to show up to work yesterday eager to jump in and, and do the things that need to be done here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then even like last night, having a difficult conversation with with one of my kids mm -hmm. um, and, and really just wrestling through those emotional things. It, it enabled me to have that that margin enabled me to have the emotional capacity to not just you know, indulge all of my baser desires and just explode in frustration and anger. And instead to, to, to put those things out there and to work through it and to actually see our relationship grow closer instead of mm. for me to have built a wall between us. And that's not just going to happen with our kids, right? That's, that's happening in every aspect of our life. When we're running constantly at 95%, we find ourselves on edge and we don't have the margin to get rid of some of that. And then we do destroy those relationships. 
I love that phrase. <clears throat> it made me a better person. And we think of being the beloved that, that God created, you know, we, that's what we want to do. That's why we want to have the soft skills that uh, people enjoy working alongside of us. Um, my wife and I have carved out tonight and we're going to hit the, it's really warm and sunny here. We're having a drought actually. Um, so I think all the rain went to South Carolina evidently, but, uh, we, uh, we're going to go on a, you know, a long bike ride tonight and it's, we do it. It's a discipline. It's not just for, we don't ride fast. It's therapeutic. It's through Amish country and it's, um, delightful and, and it's wonderful. renewing. And when we're done with it, we feel like we're better people. Good. Terry, um, any any final concluding thoughts about why we need to really prioritize our self awareness? Well, I think our people want us to, you know, and that's the oh, thing is that's that that's a great uh, word, yeah, yeah, and um, and I really, yeah, I mean, if you're appreciate uh, the support of the book, Craig, and I'd love for people to pick it up and see how it can be used, especially if you're at a church and you've got a ministry where you're bringing up young people, it's meant to be used as a tool. And, and, and Jason Jensen, John Swanson, Helen Lee, there's a group of people that helped me make it a, a better book. So it's not just Terry alone. And we really wanted to see it used and, and be helpful. And it's been fun recently to see a renewed interest in it this year. So it feels like uh, more people are discovering it again here five years later, six years Fantastic. later. Fantastic. Terry, where can people go to learn more about you or more about this book? Right. Yeah. So uh, terrylinhart.com is an uh, underdeveloped website that I have. So I have you one can of those. go there uh, and uh, see more about me, uh, the work that I do with uh, uh, Bethel University here and then Arbor Research Group. We do some large projects around the Christian circles, uh, uh, helping the different ministry organizations with some uh, research needs that they have. So putting my PhD to work. I hear you, brother. My wife said I can't have any more education unless my PhD <laughs> starts making money. Terry Linhart, thank you so much for being with me on this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. For those of you tuning in, thank you so much. I hope that this podcast, especially this recording, helps you grow in your self-awareness. Check out the resources that Terry has to offer on his website. Uh, if you would, give us a review. We'd appreciate that a whole lot. If it's a good one, give us a rating. Uh, share this with somebody you know who may be struggling with their own self-awareness. But otherwise, and beyond that, I look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.